Today we're honored to have Braylon's grandfather, JC's uncle, and uh, Blackburn's family friend, brother and sister Johnston are with us, and uh, we've known the Johnstons since 1994, I guess, when Crystal went to Gateway College. It's now Urshan College, and I, we were dating, and uh, I got acquainted as I would go up there and travel to see her, and we got engaged during her first year there, and uh, Brother Johnston did uh, a lot of our premarital counseling a whole lot of our post-wedding counseling, um, mostly because I needed a whole lot of work, and, uh, and uh, we developed a wonderful friendship, and then based on that friendship, probably he gave me an opportunity to be campus pastor. He was vice president of Gateway College, became campus pastor, did that for nine years, and then when he left that job, I took his role at the college, and then when I couldn't handle that anymore, he hired me at Pentecostal Publishing House, and uh, I, I, I wouldn't say I was a good employee because we argued and fought. If you can imagine that, me arguing and fighting about anything, I've got strong opinions about stuff, and he can, hopefully he won't tell any of those stories, but through that, through all of that, because he's such a wonderful Christian, uh, he still likes me, and uh We've been talking about him coming even before we moved here. And because his granddaughter and his niece were here, we're like, we got to get him, got to get them here while we're here. So we're so delighted that he is going to be coming and opening the word of the Lord and that his wife is with him today. I'm going to go ahead and dismiss the kids at this time as he's coming. But would you make him welcome as he comes to open the word of God for us today? big step for an old man. Thank you, Brother Blackburn, and it's a delight to be here with you and uh, to take a little time to look at the Word of God together. We do appreciate the Blackburns and all the years that we spent together working, trying to build a college and then trying to get all the things done that we do at Pentecostal Resources Group and Pentecostal Publishing House. They have been good friends. Sister Blackburn told me it's 28 years ago. They made me old. They made me old. I was young back then, but uh, 28 years ago—that's hard for me to believe. Uh, but it is—it is good to be here and good to see Josh, another former student from my days at Gateway, and uh, always a delight to be with my granddaughter and my niece and. Uh, thankful for what they're doing for the kingdom and uh, when Marcia can travel with me that's makes it an even better trip so good to be with you and uh, let's let's turn to the word of the Lord together I'm going to be preaching this morning from the first chapter of the book of Genesis verse number 27 I'll take as my text and I'll work around the uh, in the Bible verses just a, a little bit Genesis chapter 1, verse number 27. So God created man in his own, in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And I'm 
going to attempt this morning to preach on the subject of when in because becomes as. We are made in his image, but ultimately we're called to be as his image in the world today. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the incredible investment you've made in our lives. Thank you for this church, the pastor and his wife, and all those who have gathered here today that whose primary purpose in life is to bring glory and honor to you. And I pray that you would let this word speak to their hearts, and I pray, God, that they would be transformed by the power of the word of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It, you may be seated. It's impossible to understand the biblical narrative without understanding the first three chapters of Genesis. And that's not, that doesn't make the Bible unusual. It makes it typical. I mean, you really almost always need to start in the beginning. If you don't understand how things began, then you don't really understand how things proceed from that beginning. But the biblical story, the, the, the first three chapters compress so much of time, and, and, and the important subjects that the Bible is going to talk about are laid out uh, in, in the book of Genesis, in those first three chapters of Genesis. Chapter 1, in, in, in very quick fashion, kind of gives us a... a I was going to say bird's eye view, but it's, it's farther back than a bird. Uh, satellite view of, of the creation of the world. And it does so in almost poetic terms. It doesn't, it's not an attempt to, to scientifically tell us how God did all that he did. We know that from nothing he made something. That's only something God can do. There was nothing, and there became something through the spoken word of God. And he... He spoke the world into existence. He pulls the curtain back and gives us a little peek at how he did it. And he, as you make your way through Genesis chapter 1, you, you see you know, how the world is created, the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, the earth that we're walking on, and then uh, life forms on the earth, both plants and animals. The narrative slows down a little bit when it gets to the creation of man because man's creation is different than any other creation I should say mankind's creation, humankind's creation, is different than any creation up until the creation of man. For all that happened before the the, uh, creation of man, God spoke into existence. God said, and it was so, is kind of the refrain that the author of, of Genesis gives us. And God said, and it was so. And usually, almost always, uh, he follows that with, and it was good. Until uh, after the creation of man and man's alone, and God said, that's not good. But uh, I won't do that this morning. I'm not going to. to uh, this idea that when, when mankind was created, God formed him from the dust of the earth. He breathed into his nostrils, and man became a living soul. So not just the forming of him from the dust of the earth, but the breathing into him and giving him him a living soul. I don't know exactly how that happened. I don't know. Uh, that would be, uh, that would have been a sight to behold, to, to watch this that was dead become alive. And not, but, but you know, life is all around. The, the animals have life. The trees have life. The, you know, the, the, the oceans teem with fish that are alive. But in the creation of man, God said, I'm going to make man in my image. Now, God's a spirit, so a spirit doesn't have form. 
So when, 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 we're, when, God is, when we're made in God's image, our physicality doesn't, is not what makes us to, in his image. It's not that God looks like us because he, he's without, you know, he's a spirit without, uh, without any physical dimensions. But there is, God has a nature. God has a character. God has you know, a central being that's good that's holy, that's righteous, that's, the Bible would tell us, perfect. And when God made mankind, he made us in that image. He gave us uh, not all of his character attributes, but some of the moral character that we have as humans comes from the fact that we're made in his image. It's one of the reasons why life is so important. The sanctity of life is such an important doctrine of the Bible, because God is the giver of life. And that life reflects, is made in his image. And um, theologians call that the Imago Dei, the, the, the image of God. It's not that the rest of creation doesn't have the fingerprint of God on them. You know, you if you are a carpenter, a master carpenter, and other carpenters who work with wood can kind of know who the other carpenter was by the style of the work. I deal a lot with words and, and uh, people who write, and so I sometimes can read a, an article and never have to look at the author's name because I can tell by the way the author is writing who this author is. There is something about there are words or turns or phrases or ways in that, which that author writes that I can recognize. The fingerprint of that author is in the article or the book or the, uh, or the, you know, the booklet that was written by the author. And in similar ways, the fingerprint of God is on all of creation. Psalms 19.1 tells us that the heavens declare his handiwork. So you, you can know something about God by looking at nature. Romans chapter 1 tells us that, that we're responsible to, to recognize that there is a God because nature tells us, if you examine nature close enough, you'll see the fingerprint of God in nature and you'll realize that we didn't just arrive here from nowhere. There was somebody who made us and we're made, uh, we're, the world is created and in some ways witnesses to God. So there is this idea that, that, that the imprint of God is in all of human, in all of life. But for humans, it's not just that the fingerprint is on us. We are made in his image. There's something, the core of who we are as a person comes from God himself. And, and if you think about this, even the way we use language. So if a, if a person is cruel, vicious, even more than malicious, just vile, maybe that's the word I'm looking for, uh, think Hitler. We say that that person is an inhuman person. That's inhuman actions. That's, or we say that person doesn't have much humanity in them. If a person is an old grouch, we say there's not much humanity in that person because we recognize that what makes us human is the goodness that God places within us as a result of being made in his image. 
everyone is made in the image of God. Every human that's born. It's one of the reasons why uh, sexual relations are so so protected in the Bible because in some ways we cooperate with God in the creation of life. So this, this idea of being made in his image and how it works in our life, how everyone is made in the image, is again what, what makes life, uh, gives sanctity of life. It's why we protect life. That's why you don't take people's lives with, on a whim uh, because God gives that life. And everybody, again, regardless of how good or bad they are, bear the image of God. Sometimes it's a little harder to see God's image. So sometimes, we'll call this sometimes that all of, in fact, all of us are at one point or another in our life fallen image bearers. So uh, if you go back to Genesis, and again, it's so important to understand these first three chapters before you can grasp the rest of the Bible. But chapter 3, chapter 1 and 2, is the creation, you know, chapter 2 kind of re, rehashes, gives a little more detail to chapter 1, particularly in the creation of mankind and in the first family. Then when you get to chapter 3, chapter 3 starts with these kind of ominous words. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. And if, you, if you're a reader, you know that's, that's, that's a clue that something's coming. It's, it's, a, it's a promise that everything is not wonderful in the future of chapter 3. And we get in chapter 3 what we call the fall of man, where Eve and Adam are tempted by the serpent, who is, is some manifestation of, of Satan, and they partake of the fruit of which they were told not to, and, you, and they fall from their holy state. And the image of God in humankind then becomes corrupted. If, if I were using a, a more contemporary metaphor from the world of uh, computers, the code, the code is corrupted. Right now, uh, we've, we have, uh, we trance, just uh, at the beginning of, of July, we have an e-commerce store, a Pentecostal publishing house, where people order and we fulfill with Bibles and curriculum and all the things that we do. And uh, software programs are always fixing things to make them a little better, but sometimes that fix hurts. So July 1, the new software came from our e-commerce provider, and it broke the code with our fulfillment partner. So even this weekend, I've been following emails as they're working through the weekend trying to patch the code to get it fixed. Well, what happens when sin enters our life? The code gets broken. It doesn't disappear. It gets broken. So even Hitler, with, who I guess he's the, the, the person we think is the most evil person in some of our memories, uh, is in some way bears the image of God. But that's buried so deeply in the evil in his heart that you can't see much God in him. But the most cruel person often has a soft spot in the heart for somebody. The most contentious, rebellious, I mean, you, 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 pick the, you pick the word. And if you look at them close enough, there's some good in them. That good in them comes from God. Because we're made in his image. And the residue of who we are never disappears from the way we live. We can 
hide it. We can cover it. We can, um, we can harden our hearts. We can ignore our basic instinct. But it's there. It's there because of the fall that happens in our life. To be made in his image. It's, it's, you know, when you, when you really think about that, when you think about the dignity that you have as a person, when you think of the privilege that life engenders you because you're made in his image. I should remind you that the person sitting beside you or behind you, in front of you, was also made in his image. So while you have value because you're made in his image, that means the people around you also have that same kind of value because they too, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of the language that they speak, regardless of their socioeconomic background, regardless of whether they've got a great education or they can hardly read or can't read at all, they are made in the image of God, and they have value and worth because he put it in them, in his image. But you know, by sitting, well, I'll I'll talk about you and not the person you're sitting by, but you know that everything that you do is not always right or upright. You don't always make the best choices. You know that sin lies at the door of all of us, and we have all sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. That which he intended for us, we can't live up to because the code got corrupted when sin entered the world. But thankfully, in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, there's a hint. That, you know, the, the, up until 15, you get this story about the fall and, and all the trouble that Adam and Eve get in, but... 15 says that there, and it's just a faint promise, and it wouldn't make much sense if we didn't have the rest of the story. There's there's faint promise in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. Serpent would bruise the heel of the sun, but the sun would bruise the head. And when you put that in the broad span of what the Bible is talking about, that's talking about the time when Jesus Christ would come when God would come in the form of man and would die in our place and redeem our sins and change the nature that's within us that we could not just be in his image, but we could be an image bearer of him in a, in a way that brings glory to him. So that's, that's, the, that's the, I mean, I just did the whole Bible. That's the story of the Bible. We were made, we sinned, he died for us. Well, I guess I didn't do justice to the last part. You have to decide that you're going to cast your lot with the one who died in your place. You've got to say, you know what? I am a sinner. My code was corrupted, and I need a Savior. And when you do that, he'll lead you and guide you into the truth of how salvation comes. Repent of your sins. And repentance just really means, I mean, repentance is not what God requires because God made the rules. So, you know, I, most of my life I've been a boss. I just, uh, just kind of, kind of followed my lot in life to be in charge. And so um, 
that means I get to say, you know, I, I get to make rules. And sometimes, I'd like to tell you that every rule I make is a good rule, but sometimes the rules are kind of arbitrary. And you get used to making rules, probably become a little callous. Sometimes when I come home from work, my wife will tell me, you're not at work anymore. And what she means is, you're not in charge around here like you are at work. You can't just make those rules like you make at work. I've got more input than they've, I've got more invested in this company than the rest of the employees, and I have a say in what, and how life works. But God doesn't make rules just because he's, because he can. The way God calls us to live is because he's calling us to live up to the way he designed us. He made us a certain way, and he wants us to reach our fullest potential. And when you repent, what you really are saying is, I'm not living as you designed me to live. And you can't change the way you're living unless you recognize you're not living right. Again, repentance is not some kind of work. Repentance is a recognition. Say, I am not who I should be, not who I could be, not what you designed for me to be. And I need God for you to help change. And part of that help change means this is what I'm doing wrong. Please forgive me for what I've done wrong until I recognize that I've done wrong. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a, deeper, uh, a deeper attempt than just, just to say words. Has anybody, have you ever worked with somebody or maybe been in a relationship with someone when they try to, they're trying to say they're sorry, they're not really good at that? So they say things like, if I've ever offended you, please forgive me. Well, that means I don't really think I did. You probably think I did. So I'm going to give you a little cover so you can get over why you're mad at me, I didn't really do anything wrong, but I'm going to be the humble guy. If I've ever, you know, but when you're truly sorry, you say, I said this, and I know this hurts you. I did this, and I know this wronged you. I stole this, and it didn't belong to me. I cheated, and I shouldn't have. That's what it means to repent. So, Genesis promises us there's a problem for the corrupted code, and it's in the person of Jesus Christ. If we repent, then he will allow us to be born again, become, the Bible says, new creatures in Christ Jesus. So we can be twice born. All of us are born in the image of God, but we have an opportunity to be born again and to be as his image in the world today. Because when we're born again, we receive the baptism of the Spirit. And I, and I know that, that it's important for us to be born of the water and the Spirit. It's important for us to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost because it's the sign that God has done a work in our heart. But the purpose for the sign is not to get the sign. The purpose for the Spirit in your life is so that the Spirit can empower you to live as He intended you to live. So he's not saying, I want you to be in my image. He's, wanting you, he's, he's saying to us, I want you to live as my image in the world around you. I want people to know that you've been changed by the power of the Spirit 
in my life. And when people look at you, you know, sometimes, sometimes we say we're the only Bible some people will read. But Pastor Blackburn talked this morning in Sunday school about the, the Word of God, the importance of the Word of God, the, the authenticity of the Word of God, the trustfulness of the Word of God. But more than the Word of God is the God, the God of the Word. Well, this is important. The God who spoke this into the, into the world is more important than His Word. And what He wants us to do is not just be the Bible. The calling's higher. He wants to live. He wants us to live as He would live. In fact, part of what happens in the, in the biblical story is God comes in flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And we get a first-hand look. The Bible gives us that first-hand look of what it means when God lived among us. So part of the way we should treat our neighbors. Somebody showed us how to do that. God in the flesh showed us how to treat our neighbors, why people are important, uh, you know, radically reorders our life to live as his image. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church in chapter 3 of the second letter of the Corinthian church. Chapter 3, uh, my ribbon holes, chapter 3, verse number 20, or verse number 18, if you can find 20 in chapter 3, you're better than I am. Um, verse 18, but we all with the open face beholding in the glass the glory of the Lord are changed to the same image from glory to glory, even as, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So Paul said, and he's talking about Moses and Moses covering his face after the glory has departed. I won't go into all that. But one of the things he's saying is you've got the Spirit, and the Spirit changes you into his image. A little bit later, if you get over couple of chapters over in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, he says we are his ambassadors. An ambassador is a representation of another power in a different place. So if you send the ambassador of the United States to, to uh, Beijing, that when that ambassador is there, they're not living as their own person. They're living as a representative of this country. And what you have been called to do is to live as representatives of the kingdom of heaven in the world today. You're made in his image, so everybody is. But you have been called to be, be his image, to be as his image. That when you, when you live, you're, you're showing forth what it means to be a person filled with the Spirit. And you're, the way in which you live out your faith is what attracts people to the kingdom of God. He said you're salt and light. God is not repulsive. God's not afar off. He's not a... He doesn't walk softly and carry a big stick. God's will is not that any should perish. He's not desiring anybody to go to hell. He wants everybody to be as he intended them. And his agents in the world are you and me. He's called us to be as his image. That's why it matters what we do. It matters how we live. It matters how we talk. Not so that we're earning salvation. Not so we're proving to the world that we're better than they are. But we are imaging God. Let me ask you the question. Would your neighbors be attracted to God if they knew he was just like you? 
would your neighbors want to give their life for God if they thought God was just like you? We're called to be as his image, to be his ambassadors, to have, in another place, Paul says that Christ should be formed in you. Part of what it means to grow in Christ, part of what it means to become an overcoming Christian is that Christ is formed in us, and when people look at us, they see Jesus. Marcia used to sing years ago when, when we were doing this, a song called, I See Jesus in Your Face, and it makes me love him. That's what you and I are called to do, to, be at, to live as his image bearers. To recognize that everybody in the world is in his image, and God's will for those in his image is they would be reconciled to him. The gulf between them, between the sinful people and a holy God, that bridge needs to be gapped. And the way in which God has chosen to do that is to have you and me tell people Live, you know, tell them without saying a word. Tell them by saying words. Whatever is necessary to say, this is what it looks like to be one who has lived a life committed to Christ. And that's what's important we learn about God. I, I will never forget a Sunday morning years ago when I was pastoring a church. It was, it was Father's Day and young man in the congregation asked if he could meet me before church and I met him in my office and in the process of that conversation he said I will never call God father because for me father is not a good word his father I mean the idea of equating the God as a father just didn't work for him because the father in his own life was a miserable excuse for a father so if that's what God's like, I can't even call that word. I hope your co-workers say, I don't know what it means to be a Christian, but I think it means to be just like that person over there because that's what I think a real godly person looks like. That's the way a godly person acts. That's the way a godly person responds. That person, I, I'm not sure if there's a God, but if there ever is a God, the God that that person worships, that's got to be the real God because they are the real deal. They show forth the image of God. Now, let me, let me remind you quickly, you don't have to do this on your own. The purpose of the Spirit in your life, the leading of the Spirit in their life is to change you. This is not a self-help project where you say, I'm not really good, but I can try real hard. What it is, is I'm not real good and I need your Spirit to lead me. I, my part and your part in this is responding to the leading of the Spirit as the Spirit prompts me and empowers me to become what I'm not. That's the gift of the Spirit in your life. He empowers you, changed by the power of the Spirit. To be a Pentecostal is not to adopt a particular faith tradition. It's to say, I want to live by the power of the Spirit in my life I want to be changed and transformed by who he is. I will let him.
empower me. Empower me. And it's amazing what you can be when God works in your life. I remember, in closing, I, I remember when my younger daughter was born. Y'all probably don't have crazy thoughts like I have, but I wondered, I wondered if, if I could love her the way I love my other two because... You know, if you think love is, there's just this pie of love, and I've got to slice it more ways. So the only way that I can love this new child is love the two I have a little bit less. Um, yeah, you don't probably think that way, but uh, I, was, I was struggling with that a little bit, and I remember holding her in my arms as soon as she had exited the birth canal and feeling this incredible, overwhelming love for somebody who hadn't done anything for me wouldn't do anything for me, was going to hope keep me up nights, was going to be grouchy when she didn't get fed, and she's going to process that food, and it wasn't going to be fun. And I recognized that there is within me, that image of God within me, let me love that child. I would have died for that child that night because the reflection of God is in me. But even, you know, I was surprised by that. But I trust that over the years of living as a Christian and letting God work in my life, that my care for my neighbors, my uh, compassion for those who are hurting, my pursuit of things that are holy, should be a reflection of a God who's holy and compassionate and kind. I want to I have you stand this morning, and I want to... Call to actions twofold this morning is what I'd like to happen. If you've never, ever repented of your sins, been filled with the Spirit, this is the day of salvation. This is the day in which that can happen. And if you have, if you've made the choice, I, I put it all on the line for Jesus Christ. I've committed my life to Him. And I want you to, I want you to this morning, as we close around the altar, to make a commitment to God. I am your image bearer. I will This week at work, I'll reflect you. This week in my relationship at home, I will reflect the way you would. I'll dig into the word of God. I'll commit myself to prayer so that you can change me and mold me till I am a, an image of God that attracts people to the God who has saved and changed me. Let's, if you'll just... Sing a little bit, and we'll open this altar if you'd like to come. Wherever, wherever you fall in that continuum, if you've never repented of your sins, if you've never received the baptism of the Spirit, you can today. If you want to commit your life to, to a deeper walk so that you would image Him, that you move from being made in His image to becoming as an image bearer.